lot of us carry around excess fat weight as a shield to protect us. I have another story of a client, uh, Carol, and she was, her target weight was around 145 and she was really fearful to get to 145 because the last time she was there, the only time she could remember was when her husband passed away. And she dropped all this weight because she was so sad and so depressed. And so when I mentioned that's her optimal weight, she's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. I picture my husband being really sick and that really traumatic time. And so if we associate this optimal weight with uh, something negative that happened in our past, our body's not gonna wanna get there. Why, why would it do that? So people don't realize that when you're dropping weight, it's actually a, a deep process. It's a, a process of letting go of the excess fat weight that's no longer serving you, but also the emotions that are tied to it, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the worry. So I would say that we sabotage ourselves significantly through the process of dropping weight. And that's why plateaus usually aren't metabolic, but more uh, emotional. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Dr. Ashley Lucas, welcome back to the show. Good to see you again. Great to see you, Ben. Thanks for having me. We, we try to make this happen in person here in Miami, but uh, we'll do round three in person. How about that? Today, we're online and uh, we're going to have an amazing conversation. I was just on your show, The Dr. Ashley Show. Great podcast, great YouTube channel. Everybody go subscribe to it. And this is your second time on my show. The first time you were on was about a year ago, actually almost two years ago, February 4th, 2022. And we spoke about your backstory, your pain to purpose story. And I advise listeners and watchers to go uh, listen or watch that. We'll reference it down below. Here's where I want to start the conversation with you today. Metabolism. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people have maybe different ideas about the metabolism or misconceptions. So I'll ask you this first question. Like, what are maybe three myths out there regarding the metabolism that you want to debunk right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would say the first one regarding metabolism is that we can do harm to it that where we can't get it back. You know, um, we, we can do a lot of issues and, and create a lot of issues with the metabolism by how we treat it. And I did that in my backstory, professional ballet dancer, severely restricting calories for a very long period of time. And actually my doctoral work, when I went in to work on my dissertation, I studied energy metabolism of female athletes. And what I did was I got two groups. I got one group of professional female athletes 
And I pair match them with muscle mass and age because muscle mass is the main predictor of our metabolic speed with a recreationally active athletes. And they had the same amount of muscle and they had the same age. And you would think that the professional athlete would be burning many more calories during the day because they're moving more. They were exercising like six to eight hours a day. Um, but that was not the case. They ate significantly less, about 600 calories uh, less per day than the recreational athlete. And their metabolic speed, when we measured the number of calories that they burned during the day doing nothing, the group of athletes who chronically under ate also had a significantly lower metabolic rate. And so um, I guess one myth is that you can't do harm to it. And you can, uh, when you look at this study, you can see that by chronically under eating, by starving yourself, like these athletes did, they were aesthetically driven athletes. They really shut down the metabolism. But then I also commonly hear, gosh, my metabolism's ruined. It's because this is why I've gained all this weight. And um, from my experience and working with thousands of people, my own personal experience, you can get your metabolism back. You can get it back into a healthy place. So it's not ruined forever. And then I also think that another myth is that we think we put on this excess fat weight because it's a metabolic issue. I mean, it is a metabolic issue, but we think our metabolism is slowed. We think it's broken. And that's the reason why we put on this excess fat weight uh, when really for a lot of us, that doesn't have much to do with it at all. So are you saying it's more uh, of a metabolism that's just not efficient and we want to make it an, an efficient metabolism? Yeah, I mean, that is the case. However, if this is a little bit confusing, but we could say that the folks who put on excess fat weight actually have a very efficient metabolism, meaning that every food that they take in, they're storing the majority of it. Like, so there's a research study out, look, a lot of studies looking at this, but there's one in particular. And it was looking at like the number of calories that we actually get from almonds. And one group actually was able to absorb 98% of the calories from the almonds. And another group was only able to absorb 70%. So if you think about that and you're in the 70% group, that means you're only absorbing, say, if you ate 100 calories of almonds, that would be you absorbing only 70 calories from the 100 calories of almonds but versus the metabolically efficient person who can uh, store and absorb 98 calories of those 100 calories. So the one who's more metabolically efficient actually it might absorb more of those calories and, and store that fat. So I know that's a kind of confusing way of looking at that. Um, that makes sense though. I mean, if the body wants to survive, right? So packing on fat is a way to do that. This, this storage, uh, energy storage and having an efficient metabolism in this scenario helps you do that much better than somebody who doesn't uh, have that, the 70% of the almonds versus whatever the 98%. So that makes sense. Now, those are two myths. You got to give us one more. So the first myth was, it doesn't matter how damaged your metabolism is. You could get it back online, get it functioning well. The second myth was efficiency or what was the second myth? Just to be clear there. Yeah, we were, we were saying that um, we think we're gaining weight because our metabolism is broken and it's ah. not very efficient. It, yeah, that's not the case. What's the third myth, Ashley? Hmm, what's the third myth associated with metabolism? 
I would say that people believe it's a, a hormone issue like estrogen or testosterone that is ruining and shutting down our metabolism. Um, my husband runs a health optimization clinic and he has people come in and they're like, you need to fix my estrogen levels. And it's my estrogen levels or I'll even have clients uh, at PhD who've done really great and then they plateau and they're like, it's because of estrogen. And now I'm not saying that if your estrogen levels and testosterone levels are off, that does not feel good and it will impact your health and it might make weight loss a little tricky, but really um, there's not this magic bullet of hormone reset, I would say, that will then allow the last 30 pounds to come off. It, it plays a part in there, but a lot of people will, women will actually start taking estrogen and they start to put on excess weight or the weight loss actually becomes a little bit harder uh, when really it's just the uh, sips and tastes and little things that they're putting in their mouth that they're not aware of that slows the weight loss, or maybe it is a mental and emotional plateau. Probably 98% of plateaus I see aren't metabolic, actually. They're coming from the mindset. And so that there could be your fourth myth around plateaus and metabolism. It's usually not a metabolic situation. It's more of a mental and emotional thing. Damn, I'm with you on that. 80 to 90% of these stalls coming from mindset. Let's, let's dive even deeper into that. I know that you talk a lot about this. You even spoke about it when I first interviewed you and I spoke about it on your podcast too, the, the mindset component, which is the majority of our results with not just fat loss, but life in general. So what are some of those things that the mindset part, here's what I see and I want to hear your thoughts on this. A lot of people that I've worked with we give them the steps, we give them the blueprint, we give them the exact things to do. But sometimes they don't value themselves enough to want to do it, or they feel like they're not worthy enough to put in those steps. They have some sort of self-limiting thoughts, some sort of stinking thinking going on. I want to hear what you have seen as well, if you've seen something similar, and how do you coach them through that so they could feel worthy so that they actually put in the work for themselves? Yeah. So we sabotage ourselves. <laughs> And we do that through the things that you just mentioned. And so I would say that we, we commonly see these sabotaging aspects come through in uh, fear shaped in different ways. I see that we have fear over the fact that it might not work. And then this is what I, I commonly hear if this is the sabotaging event. We'll say, gosh, 165 is the leanest that I've ever been. Let's say that it's someone who's 200 pounds, they're still at 200 pounds, and I'm telling them their optimal weight is 140. Gosh, that's never, ever going to happen. The leanest I've ever been is 165. And I'm going to tell you, Dr. Ashley, that there is no way that I can ever get below 165. And I'll show you. And so those words, our brain is like a computer system and the words that we choose really program our reality. And so I will tell you that 98% of the time, that person who tells me they're never gonna get below 165 is not gonna get below 165. Whereas the person who comes in and they can visualize it and see it and feel it and be like, okay, I'm open-minded to this 140, then, oh my gosh, their process and their transformation is so much easier. And oftentimes what happens with these plateaus is the fear. There might be fear that they're not going to be able to achieve it. There might be fear that they are going to achieve it. 
what happens if they actually hit this 140? A lot of us carry around excess fat weight as a shield to protect us. I have another story of a client, uh, Carol, and she was, her target weight was around 145. And she was really fearful to get to 145 because the last time she was there, the only time she could remember was when her husband passed away. And she dropped all this weight because she was so sad and so depressed. And so when I mentioned that's her optimal weight, she's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. I picture my husband being really sick and that really traumatic time. And so if we associate this optimal weight with uh, something negative that happened in our past, our body's not going to want to get there. Why, why would it do that? So I, I also think that dropping weight is kind of like the rings around the trunk of a tree. And they're a marker for emotionally what we went through at that time in our life. So as we're shedding these excess pounds, I want you to think that, that you know they're in there and they're toxic, but they're also associated with the specific emotions and the trauma and the things that may have happened at the time that you accrued that fat weight. Uh, and so people don't realize that when you're dropping weight, it's actually a, a deep process. It's a, a process of letting go of the excess fat weight that's no longer serving you, but also the emotions that are tied to it, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the worry. So I would say that we sabotage ourselves significantly through the process of dropping weight. And that's why plateaus usually aren't metabolic, but more uh, emotional. Mm, that's so good. So it's more mental than metabolic is what I'm hearing. And I, I see the same thing. Hey, let's take a break from the conversation and share something real quick. For those doing keto, it is very important to understand that just because a keto recipe says it's keto-friendly does not make it health-friendly. There are certain oils, there are certain vegetables, there are certain nuts and seeds and dairy that are actually all keto-friendly, but highly, highly inflammatory. So I needed to solve this problem for myself and for you and the world, and we put together this Keto Recipe of the Week program, and you could rest assured that these recipes contain no seed oils, no high plant toxin foods, no dairy that's going to cause inflammation. They are protein-focused, formulated to get you into ketosis, keep you into ketosis, help your body shift into fat-burning mode, help your body produce ketones and use ketones. And above all of that, they're easy to make. They taste damn good. And we're giving this away at a very uh, highly discounted price with over 400 bucks in free digital downloads. The Keto Recipe of the Week program has two options right now. $9.97 per month. Cancel anytime. 30-day money-back guarantee or an annual membership. Discounted 20% additional. You get all that plus the bonuses. Head over to KetoCampRecipes.com to learn more. And look, 30 days money-back guarantee. If this isn't the greatest Keto Recipe program you've ever been a part of, we'll give you your money back. You can keep all the bonuses and there's really nothing to lose except body fat and, and inflammation. So I hope you love the recipes. Head to the link in the podcast notes down below, ketocamprecipes.com. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I, I don't know what it is if people just don't believe that it's mostly mental or they just kind of downplay it or they don't want to do that sort of work because it opens up these different wounds and like you said, trapped emotions in different times of their life. It can be a combination of all of that. But that is where the work needs to be done. And as you 
do that work, you start to make better decisions. And I think it goes a step before that, meaning like the environment will create our beliefs, right? And then the beliefs will create our thoughts. Those thoughts create the actions, et cetera. So if your environment or people around you that are looking at you as the old version of you, the person you're trying to step away from as the person who has these bad behaviors, we have to set those boundaries, I believe, with those people or find new people that are going to be a part of that new lifestyle. So how are those conversations going with your students and your programs in terms of like their friends, their environment, the input they're getting into their subconscious mind from television? Are you working on those changes as well? We do. Just like you said, the environment is so much stronger than your willpower. My coach, he, he says something very similar. He says it's your environment and then you've got your thoughts that start to come up in your mind and then you've got stories that you create out of those thoughts and then it becomes evidence. And so then you're proving yourself that you're actually, you think you, you think you're proving yourself from the evidence that comes out of these stories. And so you really have to start to rewrite those stories. And I recently asked him, I said, well, how do you write, rewrite these stories? He says, you get a pen, <laughs> you talk to yourself in a different way. You surround yourself with people who are talking in these positive ways. You listen to books, you read books. See how I said, listen, I listen more on audible on books. I really like uh, Marianne Williamson, uh, a course in miracles. I'm working through that right now. Um, daily meditations, because we just get stuck in all of this negativity. I personally, I don't know if I, I, I guess I do recommend it, but I'd never listen to the news. Smart. I just can't because it's so negative. And, you know, for us caring, sympathetic, compassionate people, it can just dive you down into a state of worry and you have no control over a lot of it. So I would say focusing on, you know, what you can control and then the stuff that you can't control, letting go of that. Gratitude. Gratitude is something that, and I know you with vitamin G, I work with our clients on expressing gratitude every day. And I have their first exercises to breathe and just have awareness with their breath. And then what are, you know, is three things that they can list out that they're grateful for. And I know that sometimes when you're down and out, it's really hard to figure out something you can be grateful for. So it can be as simple as feeling the warm sun on your cheek or the ability to sit up and get out of bed in the morning. And the more things that you are grateful for, the more things will come into your mind. So like we just said, your environment, what you listen to, the books that you read, the people that you surround yourself with, your friends, um, and just really trying to focus on the positivity because it is so easy to get trapped in all the negative that's out there. Uh, as a part of our program at PhD, we actually also have audio sessions that are available to our clients and they have a dual voice and they work by putting the, the brain in just a very restful state and it has binaural beats as a part of it. So um, I don't know if your clients have heard and your listeners and viewers have heard of binaural beats, but it taps into different aspects of the brain waves and it actually can change neural pathways in the brain so that we start to think and respond differently. And I've heard many clients say that they've been able to overcome sugar addiction and alcohol and just major habitual responses they normally have to stress. And with the binaural beats, it, it helps to change that uh, with a little bit less intensive work on the person. I love your approach because it's a, a holistic view. It's not just, hey, do keto or hey, 
burn these amount of calories. It's, it's the full picture. It's working on the mindset, the inner size, the exercise. It's the binaural beats, the vitamin G. It's, uh, that is how we get well. It needs to be a holistic approach. What part of this equation that for your students, for your clients is uh, focused on sleep? And the question about sleep is this. If somebody's eating clean, they're exercising, let's say they're doing intermittent fasting, but they're not really prioritizing their sleep. They're kind of getting poor, crappy sleep. Will they be able to achieve that fat loss and the health they're seeking or should they focus on that sleep part? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So as we know, everybody's different. Some people can probably go through the process and drop significant weight and sleep five, six hours a night. But I will say for the majority of people, that's not what's going to happen. Um, it's interesting. I, we work with all different types of clients and um, we have clients who are truck drivers. Uh, one client comes to mind actually who, and I mentioned truck drivers because their schedule is insane um, and they have to drive through the evening. Their circadian rhythm is off. So the fellow who comes to mind, his name's Chris, and he actually dropped 187 pounds with us. So wow. if you are listening and watching this out there, there are no excuses. You can do this no matter what you are you know, going through and what your life is like. He's amazing. And he was just committed to it. So it is possible. But another fellow, um, his name Steve comes to mind, and he is on the radio. And these guys on the radio have an insane schedule. They have to be up at two in the morning so that they can get to the studio, prep and start talking to us as we're driving to work from four to six in the morning. And so his schedule, if I can remember correctly, he would get up at three in the morning and then he would work through the morning and come back at noon and eat his first meal. And then he would be pretty darn exhausted. So he would take an hour of uh, just a nap, maybe two hour nap, and then wake up and be with his wife from like two o'clock or three o'clock and then not get to bed till midnight because he liked to stay up and watch sports and just, you know, live his life and, and be with his wife. And then he'd go to bed at you know, midnight and then be up at three again. Oh boy! And so with his sleep, he would get three hours over the course of the night. And then his nap would be about two, three hours. So he was coming in at five to six hours, but it was divided. So he completely stopped dropping weight and was like, you cannot continue this schedule. It's too stressful. It's not enough sleep. And he, we were able to adjust his sleep. So he got six hours straight and he was able to start dropping about two, three pounds a week again. Um, and I see that all the time. We're going through the weight loss phase. We're doing really well. And then we think, oh my gosh, it's slowed down. I must be eating too little or I must be eating too much or I need to work out. And I ask about sleep and they haven't even considered that. And if their sleep is short and, you know, research shows, I think indicates anything less than five hours a night is considered short sleep. With just one night of short sleep, testosterone drops by 15%. You know, there was a study that looked at two groups of individuals, one group who slept less than seven hours and one group who slept more. And the group who slept more, ate more and weighed less than the group who didn't sleep very much. So those hormones that the body secretes when it's sleeping really helps to support the metabolism, reduce cortisol, reduce stress, and allow the weight to fall off a bit more easily. So make sure you get your sleep and make sure that it's in a nice block where you can actually get that deep sleep and that REM. Very valuable advice. For me, nothing impacts me negatively more than not getting quality sleep. Like I could 
sit on my butt and be sedentary. I could eat a poor diet. And that will affect me for sure, actually. But if I got poor sleep, I just can't really function the way I want to function. So for me, sleep is a priority. I know that it's different for everybody. I do see the value though in tracking sleep and looking at deep, looking at REM. For me personally, the goal is to get 90 minutes of deep and REM each night. And if I hit that, even if like it was seven hours versus nine hours of total sleep, as long as I'm hitting my deep and REM, I personally feel great. And, and there's a lot of research showing when you're not getting enough deep and REM sleep and you're sleep deprived, you're going to have higher levels of cortisol, which means higher levels of glucose because glucose follows cortisol. And even so much so that seven straight nights of that could model the blood sugars of somebody who's pre-diabetic just from lack of sleep, right? And then we know that you're going to have higher levels of ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, lower levels of leptin, which is the satiety hormone. It's just a whole cascade of things. And in the beginning of my career, I used to have a CrossFit gym and I saw so many of my students at the gym wake up for a 6 a.m. class, sacrificing sleep to work out. And I would tell them, let's get the sleep first. You don't have to show up for that 6 a.m. class. Let's get that sleep dialed in and we'll find a different schedule for you. Because I have found that when we prioritize that fundamental of sleep and then we start pairing exercise, it works so much better versus sacrificing the sleep to go exercise. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the number one important thing is getting adequate sleep. And then once you get that sleep, we can add the exercise on top. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, my husband, he's a physician. And during his residency, I remember his, I can't remember the term that they use right now, but it's the time when he had to work through the nights. I guess it was just nights, his, his month long nights rotation. And that meant that he had to work through the night and he had like a short time during the day to sleep. And, you know, he would come home and be like, I could not say no to the donuts. Usually I, he's like, I could go into the physician room and it's so sad by the way, what they have in the physician's dining room, it's cookies. He couldn't get water. He would have to get the Coke and then dump the Coke can out and then fill it in the sink with the gosh. water to, because he didn't have a water bottle. Oh my gosh. So it's like Mountain Dew, maybe diet Mountain Dew, uh, cookies and donuts and all this crap food in bags and boxes. And I remember him saying, I could not say no to the donuts. Usually he's the willpower to be able to say no. But when he was super stressed, his circadian rhythm was off and he wasn't getting adequate sleep, it was the perfect storm for a disaster. So if you guys are listening to this and you have poor sleep and you can't say no to like really addictive foods like donuts, it's not your fault. It's not you. It is what's happening inside your body. Yeah, well said. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? 
I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but Wild Pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best-tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. When it comes to some of the strategies you implement in your program, weight loss and looking, I know a lot of people that enroll into my programs as well, they they have weight loss goals, they want to hit a certain weight target. But besides that number on the scale, what are some other things that you would recommend people pay attention to? Because sometimes, a lot of the times, there are these non-scale victories. There are, you know, your clothes fitting better. Like, what about body fat percentage? So what are what are the other markers you're having your students look at? Yeah. So we are really big proponents of looking at body composition. So BMI, when you go to the doctor and they say, gosh, your your BMI is high, it's not a good health marker. It's pretty bogus. BMI just looks at height and weight. So you could have two guys in front of you and you can have a fellow who's 220 pounds at 18% body fat and another guy weighing in at exactly the same weight at 220 pounds, but have a 25% body fat. And their BMI would be exactly the same because their height and weight is the same. So you never wanna look at BMI. You wanna look at what your body's composed of. How much muscle do you have? How much body fat do you have? And how much visceral fat do you have? And visceral fat is the belly fat. And then we also look at metabolic age and metabolic age is just a good predictor of overall physical health. And it should be about 10 to 15 years younger than your chronological age. So we know when we see metabolic age drop down within that 10 to 15 years, then usually all the other numbers that I mentioned are right within healthy alignment. So for most women we work with, you know, I'd like to see a body fat percentage of say 22 up to 28%. 
for most men, I'd like to see a body fat percentage of say 15% up to 20%. That's a really wide range depending on your, you know, physical fitness and your overall goals, but that's pretty much where we're trying to target because when we find that people hit that specific body fat percentage, then we know that their visceral fat, the belly fat is fully collapsed and that's the biggest thing we look at. I think I probably talked on the last episode with you about visceral fat and how it works. But really what happens for a lot of people is they pick some ambiguous weight that they want to hit. It's like this happy weight. I'll take this 200 pound person. They're like, I think I want to get to 160. And I'm like, why? Where did 160 come from? Uh, you know, well, I think that I'd like the way that I look. I've been there before and my jeans should fit pretty well. And I'll look at that person and be like, well, 160 would feel and look a lot better, but actually 140 is your optimal weight that for your height, your amount of muscle, your age. And why we want to make sure we go all the way is because if you only drop a portion of this belly fat, then you're going to be at a really high risk of it all coming back again, because we know this belly fat is like a tumor and all it wants to do is grow and get bigger. And so this person who picks this random weight of 160, they still have 20 pounds of this active, hungry tumor like fat in the belly. And it's just a matter of time until it eats its way back up again. So with our clients, we're really focused on fully collapsing that belly fat mass so that they don't have this metabolic situation working against them for the long term. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's so important to reduce the visceral fat, that nasty fat around the organs, creating inflammatory cytokines. And just I like the way you put it in terms of like a, a tumor that's growing. It really is inflammatory. So you mentioned women, 22 to 28% body fat is, is where you want is a good a number to hit. For men, 15 to 20% or so. How are you tracking that? Are you using like, um, like an in-body uh, electropulse machine? Like what are your favorite ways yes. to track all that? Yeah, yeah, that's the, the way we go. I, I like Tanita better. I think that the in-body I found in my experience under reports, meaning that it will say someone's body fat percentage is 14% when really it's 23. I found that, that big, big of a, a gap. Difference. Yes. Yes. Um, for when I was looking at switching from Tanita to Embody, uh, for me, it was personally 10% difference. It was saying that my body fat was 13% and my personal body fat is around 22, 23%. So I knew that wasn't the case. And wow. then it measured my husband at 6% and he's around 13, 14%. So it was, yeah, we had Your it calibrated. Pretty lean. He's pretty lean, um, but not that lean. How do you spell Tanita? T-A-N-I-T-A. Okay, I'm looking it up now. All right, and that's a big difference there with in-body versus... Would you say yeah. that... Would you say that Tanita is the accurate one or maybe, or is it somewhere in the middle between the two markers? So we have had, you know, six brick and mortar locations. I've had about... 10 different body composition scales. And from my experience, the Tanita is pretty darn accurate within 5%. I, of course, prefer a DEXA scan. If people can go and get a DEXA yes. scan, then that would be great. Um, but when I compare the results of the DEXA scan to the Tanita, they're within 5% and in-body is still off by about 10 to 12. Wow. Okay. So I'm looking on, on Amazon. There's different Tanitas. Does it matter if it's the cheaper one versus the higher uh, priced one or should we get one of the better ones? 
It really doesn't matter, but the increased price allows for more measurements to be taken. So I think that the less expensive one might not measure visceral fat, the belly fat, for example, might not show you metabolic age, but the more expensive ones would allow you to have a better idea there. I like this stuff. For me, Like I, I like looking at things like this. I have an in-body. I, I, I paid like three fifty four. And now I'm I'm kind of inspired to get a Tanita and compare and see you know yeah. what's going on there. I would love to hear your results. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna add this to my cart now. Looking at it here. Hey Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria... Get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a KetoCamp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash KetoCamp and use the coupon code KetoCamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. So for me, I love the metrics. I love looking at, like that at different things. Like I like hitting targets. I like seeing that I'm progressing towards that. I think for some people, they might get overwhelmed. Have you seen that as well with, this, with the percentage of people? Yeah, so with the just the body composition specifically for our brick and mortar clients, they come in once a month and weigh, I'm sorry, once a week, and they weigh in weekly for our nationwide over the phone clients who we serve all over the country. Uh, we just have them get any scale and weigh in once a month. Uh, I keep saying once a month, but it's once a week, uh, because we just want to see trends. So I um, don't want to create number monsters. I That's what I call people who are just too obsessed with those numbers and they become preoccupied that with could be it. Me. I could see that then. <laughs> <laughs> so I always say no number monsters. If you can't handle measuring once a week, then let's let's go farther out because really it's to help us as coaches to understand the trend. Because if someone's just not dropping weight, then we need to change things up because as we slim down, our dietary needs change as well. And so we need to know, we need to know if we need to support with stress management or sleep and all these things. So for us, it's really just once a week. And I tell them to not measure themselves or get on the scale more than that, because it just creates needless anxiety. You're going to, you know, go to the restroom, you're going to have different fluid shifts. If you have, you're a woman and you have your menstrual cycle. Um, so all of these things can influence how our weight tracks and it will drive you crazy if you're too on top of that. So that does happen, but we try to help with our coaching to reduce that, minimize the, the anxiety around the numbers. Very smart to do that because that scale, like you said, it could fluctuate for many reasons, soreness from a workout, you know, your menstrual cycle, yeah, poor sleep. And then you would think, oh, this is not working or I'm doing something wrong. And that is usually not the case. So 
don't let the scale discourage you. Sometimes it lies to you. But I think what Ashley, what you're saying is get all those metrics done and let's look at the trends versus just one reading is what I'm hearing. Yes, that's right. Same thing with glucose and ketones, by the way. I have a lot of students who test their blood glucose and ketones and they, they might get one reading. It's a snapshot that is not ideal for them and they think what they're doing is not working. And I always tell them, hey, it's, it's one reading. Let's look at the course of the next few days and see the average here. And then we could get a good uh, understanding if uh, we want to make some changes or not. So same thing here with the composition metrics. Yeah, it's, it's like the stock market, right? Um, if you were to follow it and sell every time it drops down because of emotions, um, you'd be completely out of money. So really, it's just our, our health is kind of like our wallet and we just need to be patient and, and, and go with it for a, a certain period of time. That's a good example. Okay, so I've interviewed some some people who, uh, like Dr. Ken Berry, who you've had on. I, I, the video is doing really well on your YouTube channel. Um, by the way, everybody... Uh, Ashley did a fantastic interview with Dr. Ken Berry on our YouTube channel, the uh, Dr. Ashley Show. We'll reference it down below. Go watch it. It's a really, really good interview. I've had Ken on my podcast, I don't know, maybe like six times over the last few years. And he he said things like, you know, exercise is great, but it's a stupid way to lose weight. Uh, Dr. Funga said something similar. And I, I agree with them. Like, I don't look at exercise as a way to lose weight, but I also see it as a valuable tool that that I do believe helps with weight loss because, and I'm just going to share my experience with it and my students, and I want to hear how you view exercise, but it's a discipline to go exercise. And Bedros talks about this all the time, right? Bedros, your, your coach, it's a discipline. And when somebody's fit, you know, they have that developed that discipline for their body and that transfers to other areas. It transfers to eating better, thinking better, et cetera. So in that aspect, I think it will help. But it should not substitute the other lifestyle changes, meaning eating clean, sleep, et cetera. I know when I'm exercising and I'm consistent with my exercise and my strength training, I feel so much better. I love myself more. I just make better decisions. And by default, I end up losing weight. By default, I end up you know, losing my body fat percentage. So what is your thought process around exercise? And are you more in the camp of like Dr. Fung and Canberra? It's a stupid way to lose weight. Or are you kind of in the middle like me? I'm right along the middle with you, Ben. I love how okay. you explain it because just like you said, it's linked to other healthy habits and more discipline. And I think it helps us to uh, maintain whatever motivation, you know, motivation is pretty fleeting. And so whatever we can do to help us there, and if we see some wins that we can stack in the gym, uh, then that might help us keep that fleeting motivation there for a little bit longer. So I look at exercise not as a weight loss tool, but as a wellness tool. And, you know, you would have to run 350 miles or cycle 1000 miles to burn just 10 pounds of fat. So I can see where you, Dr. Barry saying, hey, this is ridiculous, because when you look at it from a numbers perspective, it is. So I look at it like, you know, reducing stress and helping with sleep and improving mood. And I, there is a lot out there showing that muscle mass is important. It's a marker of longevity and it's our metabolic currency. We need to do whatever we can as we age, especially during weight loss, to maintain as much muscle as we can. Um, like I said, way at the beginning of this conversation, met our, our muscle mass determines our metabolic speed to a large extent. 
want. And so if we go through a process of weight loss and we're not focused on maintaining our muscle mass during the process, which I think, by the way, is happening with a lot of people who are going on these Ozempic and Wagovi terzepatide yes. drugs, they're finding that they reduce in weight, but 30 to 50% of it is coming from muscle mass, um, which is huge because now we're skinny fat. And, and then we don't have the muscle mass to support a healthy metabolism. Our hunger comes back and oh my gosh, the weight just comes back like crazy. So the favorite types of exercise that I enjoy and uh, suggest to our clients is brisk walking. So a 30 minute brisk walk every day. I had Mark Sisson on the show and I know you did as well. And he's saying that walking is the new sleep. It's just as important and we should be out there walking as much as we can. And I've always agreed with that. He wants to take runners and tell them to stop running and start walking more. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. He says, we're not born to run, we're born to walk. Yeah. And I agree with that. And so for, you know, since we've been open with PhD in 2015 on all of our paperwork, it's 30 minute brisk walk every day, not five days a week, but seven days a week, get out there and move. And actually um, underneath this desk, I have a treadmill where I can walk and work. And that has been helpful for me because it's hard when you're working all the time to get those steps in and keep moving. So whatever we can do to keep moving. So that's number one is walking. And then number two is some kind of strength training, resistance training. It can be body weight. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're overloading those muscles, specifically during a weight loss, I think is helpful because we want to maintain that muscle mass, as I've said. And then the third type is high intensity interval training. And everyone who I've talked with and all the research I've done really shows that this is key to just draining the muscles of, of glycogen and whatever carbohydrate sources are coming in, they're then going to store in the muscles rather than fat. And so a high intensity interval training session might be, I like to use the example of a stationary bike, just because you can do it any other way, but running, for example, is really high impact and would kill my knees. And a lot of the clients I see who are a little bit older and really have this excess fat weight, running is the last thing that they should be doing. And so I would suggest a stationary bike where you warm up for five minutes and then sprint pretty hard for maybe 10 to 20 seconds, just all out, whatever that means for you, and then rest for 30 seconds to a minute, just all the way, come back down and then repeat that maybe 10 to 12 times, but you could start with six times and then cool down. So the whole thing would take about 25 minutes, but you've really ramped up there and that helps to also burn that belly fat, that visceral fat. So those are the three things that I would always suggest if someone's interested in incorporating exercise. Great tips. And, and I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Ashley, obviously she's super fit, super lean. What about your routine? How often and how long are your exercise sessions? Yes. Well, now that I've got this treadmill here, I can walk <laughs> and I usually do that throughout the day. And then I will do high intensity interval training probably about two, three times a week, usually two times a week on a stationary bike, or I've got a bike when it's nice out and I'll go and we've got hills 
for me, you know, every I've got three kids, I've got PhD, 70 team members. I feel like my life is a little stressful. So I don't do a ton of the high intensity interval training. And I definitely don't do just moderate cardio because it, I feel like me living at this level, baseline level doesn't need added stress. And chronic cardio is what I call it, just adds to more stress and it helps deplete my adrenals. So I, I really don't do anything except for that high intensity interval training when it comes to cardio. And then I love to lift weights. So I probably lift weights about five times a week. And that will take me probably 45 minutes, maybe 35, 40 minutes when I'm not working on my phone. <laughs> Got it, understood. And do you have a, like a home gym or do you go to a gym? I have a home gym, so Same. I'm fortunate that I can just walk down there and do that. And then um, I really love this type of Pilates. It's called Legree. So I'll spell it for you. It's L-A-G-R-E-E. -E. And it's like Pilates, but on steroids. And it has fun, loud music. And it's about 45 minutes to an hour long. And it is so hard, but it's not high impact. So for me, being a former professional ballet dancer, my joints aren't great. My knees aren't great. And I can go in there and just, you know, make my, I'm like a dead rag at the end. It might not <laughs> sound very pleasant, but it just feels like I've, I've used all my muscles. My husband goes to it with me once in a while and he'll be shaking like crazy. So if you have a studio like that around you, I really advise you check it out. It's so great. Would be really great for bone density reducing the risk of falling. It's really a great, I bet your uh, wife would love it. Yeah, I think she would. She used to be a dancer too. Um, oh yeah, um, she I, should I, check I wonder, it out. I'm going to share that with her. I wonder if she's heard about it. Great tips. I love the routine too. Uh, strength training. I always feel really good when I'm strength training consistently to your, your point. Um, muscle is this longevity organ. We want to make sure we are uh, Build it up, especially as we grow older. Women too, you don't want to, men and women, you don't want to enter osteopenia, osteoporosis, et cetera. So we want to be proactive. Have you ever felt off during your keto journey or carnivore journey? Maybe you experienced a headache, some fatigue, pesky cravings. This can happen when your body loses vital minerals, especially when following a keto diet. Here's what happens. When you lower insulin on keto and carnivore and fasting, you shed excess body weight. This is fantastic because you look lighter and feel lighter. However, you lose essential minerals like potassium, sodium, and magnesium. That's where Beam Mineral steps in. It's a full-spectrum, concentrated electrolyte and mineral supplement that gives you all the essentials your body needs. Beam Mineral products are the perfect support for anyone doing keto, carnivore, and fasting. It does not break your fast. It does not contain any anti-nutrients, so it is carnivore-friendly. It tastes just like water. It helps to keep your carb cravings at bay and to keep you in this fat-adapted state we love called ketosis. I love this product. I drink it daily. I give it to my dog as well. So give B Minerals a try today for an enhanced keto, carnivore, and fasting experience. Head over to beamminerals.com. And use the coupon code AZADI, which is my last name, A-Z-A-D-I, for a special discount. That is beamminerals.com, B-E-A-M-M-I-N-E-R-A-L-S.com. Coupon code AZADI. We'll put that down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's get back to this interview. You mentioned something really important. I love that you mentioned it. 
these peptides that people are using to lose weight, uh, they're so popular because you do lose weight. But what you're not realizing is what Ashley just said, uh, where is the weight coming from? And you're saying, and I've seen the same thing with some of the research that the weight loss that is occurring is stripping away cartilage, certain proteins and muscle. And yes, the scale's going down, but if you fast forward years from now, they're going to put themselves in more harm as a result. Yeah, I think that that is a, a huge risk there. You know, I think it's important that I say it can, I agree it can be a helpful tool for some people, uh, maybe those who have, aren't interested in, in making a change in their lifestyle. But what breaks my heart is that I think a lot of people are going to these drugs when they have experienced failure in the past, but the failure isn't their fault. It's because they did HCG or they severely restricted calories or they did weight loss through other unsustainable means. And so they think that it's their only hope. And, and that's what really makes me sad is because I, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I see thousands of people drop weight every day, all day long without the need of any kind of medication. And when we eat a certain way, Ben, you know this, that we can naturally let hunger and hormone, our hormones change so that hunger goes away and cravings go away. You don't have to take drugs to drop the hunger and drop the cravings. You can do it by how and when and what you eat. And I don't think that many people understand that because we've been told for so long that weight loss is painful, that you should be hungry, that you just need to move more and eat less. And so people really have lost hope and they think that this drug is, is their only hope when it really doesn't have to be. You said it very well. It's true. The weight loss is a side effect of getting healthy. And everything you have taught us and what you teach teaches us to get healthy. It just allows our body to function the way that it was designed to function. And when it does, it's a side effect, the weight loss is. It's, it's not like you're having to cut calories or do anything extreme. As a matter of fact, we are against that because that only works short term. But to your point, society has brainwashed us through movies and billboards and TV commercials to believe that weight loss needs to be suffering and we need to do something excessive. And that is not the case. So I love your message because of that. We align with that. I do have a question on the stalls. What are your maybe top three things? I know you mentioned the mindset part, so we'll leave that out of this. But what are your top three ways to break a, a weight loss stall or just a stall in general when results slow down? So I would say, first of all, to get back to the precision of the meal plan. So oftentimes, and I, I remember a client specifically, Cindy, she came in and she's like, I'm following the meal plan to a T. And for us, we write customized meal plans, tell people exactly what, when, how much to eat is very precise. And we even provide some of the food if people want it. There's no cost associated with the food. They can just take the foods. And it's helpful to kind of reset portion sizes and just allow people to be aware like, oh, this is what breakfast should look like. And I'm actually not hungry after breakfast. This is amazing. And oh my gosh, lunch should be this size. It shouldn't be like a double cheeseburger and double fries and large soda. And I'm actually more full after this uh, moderately sized lunch than I am after my McDonald's, whatever, you know? And so um, that is helpful, but that was uh, a stray here. So uh, with this client, Cindy, she came in and, and I was like, okay, are you eating anything outside of the meal plan? She's like, well, I just have this coconut butter and I only tap into it when I'm really hungry, but it's just like a tablespoon. 
during the day. And so I was like, okay, I want you to do a favor for me, do an experiment because I need to figure out why things have stalled here. And I don't want you to consume anything, but what's on this meal plan, what I've written for you, no coconut butter, even if it's just a tablespoon. She came back the next week and she dropped five pounds. Just from that one change, huh? Just from that one change. And I asked her and she said, you know, it wasn't just a tablespoon. I was up in that coconut butter Ah, all the time. (laughs) And so I would say that that is a big thing. And I've heard that happen with coconut butter and peanut butter, almond butter, nuts and cheese. So I would probably, I would recommend if you're listening to this and you've hit a plateau to look at those foods specifically and be like, okay, they're just trigger foods. They're so easy to overeat on and they're very, very very dense. So that could be something. Um, That's a great tip. Before before you get to alcohol, I just wanted to add to that. Great tip. You know, know yourself, know thyself. For me, peanut butter is that trigger food. If I open up a organic, crunchy peanut butter and I take a tablespoon, I'm like, I'm just going to have one tablespoon. I put the rest away. I just say, oh, maybe one more. Uh, Maybe. And then half the freaking jar is gone. I'm like, damn it. So I just don't order peanut butter. I just don't have it in my house. So know what your trigger food is and make sure you're doing your part and not having it in your in your pantry. Yeah. I have another client who came in. He's like, I just don't know why, Dr. Ashley, it's stalled out. The only thing I'm doing off this meal plan is like a little spoon of peanut butter before bed. And so I did the same thing. Let's do an experiment. And um, he's like, oh my gosh, it was so much peanut butter. <laughs> it usually <laughs> is. It usually is. Okay. Yeah. He's like, what do I do with it? Do I keep it for when I'm in maintenance? I was like, no. No, you don't keep that because you know it's going to be just there calling your name. Yeah. Give it to your dogs or throw it away. Yeah, or give it to a friend where you visit your friend maybe once in a while and that's when you have it on that occasion, but it's not in your house. That's what I do for myself with ice cream. Ice cream is a trigger food for me. And if it's in the freezer, I will eat it. So I just don't keep it in there because I don't want to have to stress out about that. You know, willpower is is finite. We'd only have so much of it. And so if you've got crap food in your kitchen and you're constantly fighting the urges, it's going to drain that willpower reserve very quickly. And so you really want to create this environment that's conducive to your best self. And so for me, if I take the kids out and they're eating ice cream and I feel like it, then I'll have ice cream there. But then I know yeah, I, I eat it and it's gone. <laughs> You know? Yes, so, I'm very similar. Yeah. So know thyself. You, you you said alcohol is number two. Give us give us the bad news, Ashley. Yeah. So the deal with alcohol is I don't look at the calories. I don't care. People are like, oh, can I not drink it because of the calories? The deal is is that one shot stops fat burn for about four to eight hours. And shots and drinks above that amount will just knock you out of fat burn exponentially. So after a heavy night of drinking, you might not be in fat burn for about two, three days. And that can really hinder the speed of your weight loss. I'm not saying that you can't drop weight and drink. You can, and there's better types of alcohol, um, but it just slows the process because the liver gets preoccupied with the alcohol. It can't really burn the food and the fat that's eaten in conjunction with it. So it just does stall the process. So if someone's stalled out and they're drinking, I would advise them to let go of alcohol for a bit. Great tip. Uh, I, I personally don't drink, but I know that a lot of people do. So just by doing that, big difference there because alcohol is a toxin. Your body's going to want to prioritize that. Your liver is going to want to prioritize that versus anything else. So yeah, great tip right there. It's uh, don't shoot the messenger, but it is the right tip right there. What's number three? 
Number three, I would say is to move, not exercise necessarily, like we said, um, but just get up and move. We work with a lot of people who might be completely sedentary and they're just sitting all day. And the issue with that is your lymph isn't moving. Your lymph only moves when you have muscular contractions. And so you've got to get up your lymph recycles waste. It gets your metabolism going. So we actually have vibration plates in the offices and um, have, you know, some uh, links where people can buy little uh, plates like that because the vibration plates help to get the lymph going. And you just, your body just needs to kind of move along it to be able to process that food. So if you're completely sedentary, my suggestion would be to get up and move. And then the things we talked about, stress, and we talked about sleep, um, those are going to be two aspects that could help as well. Great tips right there. Yeah, the lymphatic system is super important. And as you move your body, you move the lymph. Uh, a big fan of vibration plates, etc. I have a couple questions, final two questions here. What's the deal with Skittles that you call these evil UFO shaped candies that take over your son's mind and body? <laughs> yeah, I just did a podcast episode on that. So just recently, not just recently, maybe six months ago, I think now California banned Skittles and they didn't actually ban Skittles. They just uh, banned an ingredient, red dye 40 specifically in them because it's been linked to behavioral issues and cancer. It was actually in cosmetics and they banned it because of the significant ties to cancer, but then they never took it out of our food, which is insane. So my son has uh, ADHD and I know, you know, so many kids do. Sometimes I just think it's a normal boy, young boy thing. And in the past, whenever he would eat Skittles, it would turn him into something that, wow, was unbelievable. And even he was like, what is going on? And so whenever we would go trick-or-treating, I want to have some kind of balance in their lives. So I'm not going to take all their candy away. I'd be like, how about how many do you think is a good amount? And why don't you just enjoy that number? And maybe we would select five, five small items, and then we give the rest away. Will we actually throw it away or they trade it for a toy or something like that? And so when he would choose Skittles, we're all like, oh, no. Um, so finally, when we really understood that tie, he's like, yeah, no Skittles are ever going to be in my selection there because it really for him is linked to behavioral issues. So I just did that podcast because I wanted people to understand the impact that our food has and the chemicals have and that these marketing and food companies do not have our best interest at heart. They just want to line their wallet and they want to fill your stomach with their product so that they can get more money from them. Um, and it's such a shame. And in the US, we have so many foods that contain chemicals to a significant degree, whereas in Europe, they've actually been banned for years. So our regulations here are not very strong. And I don't think a lot of us recognize that. I love that you called them out. And you're so right. You look at Europe, you don't see a lot of people that are overweight there. And they have a lot less gyms. So what's the difference? They've banned glyphosate, red dye, all these inflammatory ingredients there years before we get to it. So I love that you called them out on that. Last question, vitamin G, gratitude, Ashley, what you got vitamin G for today? Today, I am grateful for my team. I've got a, a team of 70 people and they are the most amazing people that you could meet. They're so compassionate. They 
They care. They're radically open-minded. We're establishing new programming this year and they're just open to it. And they all they want to do is create positive impact in the lives of others. And so I had my quarterly meeting with all 70 team members today. And uh, man, I am just so fortunate and so blessed to be able to, you know, walk beside them and do the amazing things that we do for other people. They've got a great leader in you, and that's exciting. Uh, congrats on that growth and what you're doing. Share your website and then any other social media platform for everybody to go check you out. Yes. Yeah, so my website is myphdweightloss.com. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at PhD Weight Loss, or you can follow me and it's Dr. Dr. Underscore Ashley Lucas on both of those platforms as well. And you mentioned the YouTube show, Dr. Ashley Lucas, which you can look up there and that's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, everybody go subscribe to her YouTube and her podcast and all of her social media. We'll put it down below. Next time we have our conversation, it'll be round three, and then we'll do it in person and get some good steak. How does that sound? I'd love that. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Ashley. Appreciate you. And uh, I'm excited to continue collaborating with you. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much, Ben. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Azadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.